Would you join me in prayer? Holy God, may the soil of our hearts be fertile ground in which your word may take root. Speak to us today the word we need to hear, whether it is a word of comfort or conviction, courage or correction. Plant it deep within us and bring it to fruition for the sake of your Son. Amen. So every Lenten season, we journey with Jesus to Jerusalem, to Calvary and the cross, and then the empty tomb of Easter. Jesus knows that his hour is approaching, that a cross awaits him. Now, I don't know about you, but I have to believe that because Jesus is human and knows temptations like you and me, that it must have been hard to keep going. And so tempting to stay in Galilee with his disciples, the people who crowded around him to hear him teach and witness his miraculous acts of power. Our Lenten series continues our reading of the Gospel of Mark, and each week we are going to focus on counting the cost, both to Jesus and to his disciples and to his would-be followers. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus has an encounter with a very passionate man. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 20. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? <coughs> Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not be, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own. Give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked, and he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. So how many of you have heard this story before? Uh, it's told in both all of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and many of us know it as the story of the rich young ruler. Now, Mark doesn't identify him as either a ruler or young, but he is rich. He has many possessions. For those who have heard this story before, I may be going over familiar ground, but for those to whom it is new, let's spend some time with this man and Jesus. And as we do, I invite you to consider how you are like or not like him. When the disciples come into the picture, think about how you are like them or not like them. And ask yourself, how do I respond to the cost that Jesus lays out for following him. Clearly, word about Jesus' authority, his new way of teaching has spread because here comes a man with a request. It's not for healing or for cleansing, but how to inherit eternal life. And he starts with this word of flattery, good teacher. Now, lots of people have wondered about Jesus' response to his greeting. Why do you call me good? No one but God is good. I mean, other people are called good in the Bible. So why does Jesus object? One suggestion that makes sense to me is related to a custom that continues to this day in the Middle East, and I would suggest perhaps even here. Apparently, 
if someone greeted you with a compliment, a, a, a bit of flattery, you were supposed to feel obligated to return that and even up at once. So if he says, good teacher, Jesus might say something like, oh, most esteemed sir. But Jesus isn't going to do that. He's not playing that game. He turns it around on the man, questioning his flattery, putting him on notice that he was indeed different and might not give the answer the man expected. And then he goes on. He says, well, you know what the law says. And then he goes on to list several of the Ten Commandments. Notice that he starts in the middle. If you read the Ten Commandments carefully, you realize that they fall into two categories which relate to the great commandments to love God and to love neighbor. The first deal with loving God. Worship God alone. Don't have, make idols. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't misuse God's name. And the other commandments deal with living in relationship with others. In other words, loving our neighbors. And these are the ones that Jesus highlights. Boy, I bet that man is relieved. I mean, if he asks you those things, you could pretty much say the same thing. Teacher, I've kept all these things since my youth. None of, to my knowledge, none of you have committed adultery or murder or, or thieves. But Jesus, Jesus knows. He knows this man. He knows his heart. Only Mark tells us that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Loved him despite his shortcomings. Loved him with all his pride. Loved him even as he says the next thing, which probably doesn't sound that loving to this man. Sell all you own and give it to the poor. Then come and follow me. Now, the last time we saw anyone running up to Jesus and throwing themselves on their knees before him was back when Jesus was on the other side of the lake and he came upon that man who had been chained in the cemetery, the one who was possessed by a legion of unclean spirits. And you remember that request that time was for Jesus to leave him alone. And in a way, I think today's request is similar this man wants Jesus to tell him, you've got it. You're doing all the right things, and then leave him alone. He's saying, tell me what boxes I need to check. I will check them off and leave you in peace. You know, after the demons were gone from the man in the cemetery, the, the man who was now in his right mind came to Jesus and begged him to be allowed to come and follow him. But Jesus sent him away. And now this rich man, when told the full cost of his request, is also invited. He's invited to follow. But he can't. The man in the cemetery went away rejoicing. This man goes away shocked and grieving because he has too many possessions. Or maybe it's better to say his possessions have him. Jesus, watching him go, makes an observation. Mark chapter 10, verses 23 through 27. When Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. So you've probably heard the camel through the eye of a needle part before, right? Perhaps you've even heard this one explanation for what Jesus was talking about. Apparently, some people are saying that there was a gate into the city of Jerusalem that was so low that a camel entering it had to be unloaded of all its packs, and then it proceeded on its knees, crawling through the gate. Uh, In a word, no. (laughs) There was never any such gate that we can find in the historical record. And think about a minute. How silly. I mean, there were other gates into Jerusalem. If you had a fully loaded camel, would you go through the one that was so low you had to unpack him and then make him crawl? No. See, we want to find any explanation but the one Jesus says. That on our own, getting into the kingdom of God is not only difficult, it's impossible. Wait, you think. This doesn't apply to me. He's saying how hard it is for a rich man to get in. I'm not rich. I certainly thought, thought, well, maybe that's not true. I certainly thought that this week when I looked at my bank account. But do you remember an exercise we did in Lent a couple of years ago when you had to count your blessings? We collected coins for different blessings we take for granted. Like how many faucets are in our houses, meaning we have running water. Or how many shoes we have in our closet or how many coats we own. I want you to hold your hand up if this is true for you today. Do you have food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a bed to sleep in tonight? You are richer than 75% of the world. Do you have money in the bank, maybe some in your wallet, and some change to put in the habitat jars? You are richer, you are in the top 8% of the world's wealthy. You are rich. The disciples are astounded at Jesus' words. Wealth was an indication they believed of God's blessings. They even had the scripture to prove it. Sadly, we still think that. Some of the most popular preachers today preach a prosperity gospel, which is probably why they're popular. A transactional faith in which God owes you. Be careful. Your possessions may possess you. But Jesus gives them and us hope. See, with God, all things are possible. And God will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Salvation is not earned or inherited it is freely given. So what do we get? Well, there's a reason we can all relate to Peter. He is not afraid to ask those questions that are in the back of our minds and we wonder about too. Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 31. Peter began to say to him, Look, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields, for my sake, and for the sake of the good news, 
who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children, and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. You know, Peter is right. The disciples have given up everything to follow Jesus. Homes, jobs, families. And ultimately they will give up their lives for him. And Jesus reassures him that he will receive a hundredfold in return. Perhaps not in coins or possessions, but in what really matters. What about us? What have we given up in order to follow Jesus? How has your life changed since you became a disciple? I was at a seminar one day, and, and the pastor who was the speaker told the story of a man in his church who had recently become a Christian. The man was a rough sort. He'd been a drug addict. He'd run with a motorcycle gang. He'd spent time in prison. But this was one man in whom you could see the new life in Christ. And one day, he shows up at the church, goes to the pastor's office, and he has this big trash bag that's just full. He says, Pastor, I was praying today, and I heard Jesus say that if I am really his, I need to give up my pornography. So I put it all in this bag, and I'm giving it to you. You'll know what to do with it. <laughs> speaker said it was the most unusual gift he had ever been given. <laughs> you know, this, there's no question what this man gave up to follow Jesus. Or to see that he really did change his whole life. How costly is following Jesus for us? And if I'm honest with myself, the answer is not very. Now, I'm not telling you to sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. Jesus did, but not me. I like my stuff too. I will challenge you, though, to move God up in your priorities. For instance, pay God first, not with whatever is left over. Remember that example that Adam Hamilton gave us last fall with the apples? You know, rather than letting God settle for whatever you can spare, you might have to make some changes in your budget. I know I have. What possesses you? Maybe it's not things. Maybe it's something else. I was in a disciple Bible study, and we were talking about putting God first in our lives. And one woman was honest. I appreciated her honesty because she said that was never going to happen. God was not going to be first. Her family was first. She had three strapping sons. They were amazing. And they were first. God, if it was maybe a distant second. And if God didn't like it, too bad. Is that how you feel? You know, Peter wasn't wrong. The disciples had surrendered all. They hoped that their sacrifice would be, bring greatness, that they would get to sit at the right hand of Jesus in the kingdom. But Jesus reminds them that many who are last will be first, and the first will be last. In other words, stop keeping score, because God doesn't. Whether first or last, all will get in the kingdom, but only through the grace of God. 
Mark begins his gospel with Jesus announcing that the kingdom of God has drawn near. It has begun, even if it is not complete. The impossible is already happening. What could life look like if we lived like the kingdom of God has drawn near? Dave Ramsey, who's the, the uh, author of the Financial Peace University we're participating in, tells a story about a wealthy friend of his in one of those sessions. This friend t did two things one year for his, with his family. First, he took everybody on a European vacation. Now, I don't know how many he took, but it must have been quite a few because he spent a lot of money on that vacation, more than I make in a year. And they all had a great time, built lasting memories. Later that year, he had the opportunity to be part of a Christmas wish program, and he bought bicycles for all the children and youth in the program, and his family went and helped hand them out. And it turns out that he spent a very similar amount on the bicycles as he did on the European vacation. Still more than I make in a year. And he and his family discovered that giving out the bikes was, was so rewarding. It was even more rewarding than going to Europe together. Now this is a very rich man who can afford to do something like this every year. Take all of the family on a vacation, a vacation of a lifetime, or give out bikes to kids who can't afford one. And he told Dave that the vacation was a blast. He'll never forget the times they had. But the whole family agreed they'd river, rather give out bikes than go on a vacation. Part of the rationale for Dave Ramsey's program is not just to get out of debt, but to get out of debt in order to become generous and give to others. And in the process, you discover the difference between a want and a need. We need this relationship with God. We need the kingdom of God. We need the salvation God offers. We want to get there with all our stuff intact. We want to make a list of the things that we can check off and know that we are good. And Jesus looks at us and loves us. And he tells us that we need to give up what we think we have to have to let go of whatever possesses us. Bring it to him in a big black trash bag. We need to trust in God who will do the impossible for us. What will you give up for the kingdom of God? Amen.